entire time that they had been married, he had never known what she kept in that antique chest of drawers. And his curiosity got the better of him, so he walked over to this antique chest of drawers, and he opened up the top drawer, and he found over $100,000 in cash. He opened up the second drawer, and he found three eggs, and he thought to himself, this is weird. A couple of hours later, his wife came home from shopping, and they're fixing dinner together, and his conscience is really wearing him out. He said, uh, honey, you know that antique chest of drawers that you've had our entire relationship? She said, yeah. He said, well, it suddenly dawned on me this afternoon while you were gone that I've never known what you kept in that thing, and my curiosity got the better of me, and I want to apologize if you feel like I invaded your privacy, but I just had to have a look for myself, and I walked over there, and I found over $100,000 in cash and three eggs, and I was wondering if you could explain that to me. She says, not a problem. She said, the 40 years that, that we've been married and you've been preaching, every time you had a bad sermon, I put an egg in that drawer. And he thought to himself, not too bad. 40 years of marriage, 40 years of preaching, three bad sermons, that's not a bad track record. He said, where did you get all the money? She said, when I got a dozen, I sold it. <laughs> and you poor people are about to discover why one day my wife is going to be a very rich lady. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me this morning. I'm excited to be here uh, to, with the Teaching Rocket Seminar. It's, it's been mentioned already, and I want to re re reiterate just one more time. Uh, whether you had ever have a plan on teaching a Bible class in your entire life, or if you simply want to be a better student of the Word of God, I want to really encourage you to plan to stay for not only lunch, but also the first session this afternoon. I promise you that you're going to be very blessed by that. After the first session is over, you can make the decision whether to stay for the rest or to go on home. But I really hope that you'll give me the first session this afternoon, because I promise you we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to learn a lot uh, as well, so I hope that you'll do that. When I was growing up, I was in the Boy Scouts of America, and uh, when I was about 14, I was initiated into the Order of the Arrow, the OA as we called it. The Order of the Arrow is an organization within the Boy Scouts that is committed to preserving the ways of the outdoors. And this is how I was initiated into the OA. They had us come out to the scout camp there in Meridian, Mississippi on a Friday afternoon, and they waited until it was good and dark outside, and we were not allowed to bring anything with us on this trip except a sleeping bag. No pack, no tent, no nothing, just a sleeping bag. They waited until it was good and dark outside. They didn't feed us anything for supper. And then they took us out into the middle of the woods along this trail. And about every 200 yards down the trail, they would leave one of us to fend for ourselves for the entire night. So again, no, no, no pack, no, no tent, no nothing, just sleeping bag, no supper. Took us out through the woods. They came to a spot. They left me. They went on down a little further, left another guy. And I got to my spot, and I remember unrolling my sleeping bag and crawling in and praying to God in heaven that nothing would crawl in there with me. <laughs> and then about 2 o'clock in the morning, there come a gully washer of biblical proportions. Can I say gully washer and hoover? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, y'all probably had a few here lately, I imagine. I know y'all had some nasty storms in the area yesterday. But there come a gully washer of biblical proportions. And I remember thinking about 5 o'clock clock that morning, I sure wish I had smuggled in my pocket Bible so that I would at least know the dimensions of Noah's Ark, because I thought I was about to float away. Well, finally, the morning came, the sun came up, and 
they came and collected us and took us back to the mess hall and we were able to lay our sleeping bags out on the picnic tables to dry in the sunlight and they fed us a scrumptious breakfast of a hard-boiled egg and half a piece of toast. And then they worked us. What they had us do for three hours that morning is that we were uh, told to move this really heavy metal, uh, you remember that really heavy metal office furniture from the 1970s? You know what I'm talking about? That really heavy metal office furniture? We had to move that really heavy metal office furniture from one end of the scout camp to the other. And it was by hand, you know, no truck, no nothing, by hand, and it's kind of muddy outside from all the rain, and so we're slipping and sliding, and I've got my pipe cleaner biceps here, and I'm, you know, trying to carry this thing. Did that for three hours, was worn out, and for lunch, they fed us a scrumptious lunch. What they did is they took crystal burgers, and they cut them in quarters. So we got a quarter of a crystal burger, two french fries, and half a glass of punch. And then for three hours that afternoon, they had us move that aforementioned office furniture back across the camp to its original location. <laughs> Finally, by supper time, I was starving. And they fed us a decent meal then. They, they really did. And, and fortunately, God, God be praised, that is the only time in my life where I've even had a clue what real hunger is like. You and I live in a very blessed society where we really don't know what hunger and famine are like. We, we live in such a very blessed country, and yet not every country is like that. We can, we can get on our phones, our tablets, our computers, our televisions, and, and from third world countries, we can see images of, of famine and starvation coming into our lives. I was recently reading about the nation of Venezuela in South America. In 2001, Venezuela was arguably South America's wealthiest nation. Today, it is arguably its poorest that because of many years of socialistic policies and economic hardship and, and the like, that, that, that a lot of things in Venezuela have not gone well. The average Venezuelan over the last couple of years has lost a total of 30 pounds because of uh, the lack of food. And, and the problem, or the, the horrible irony is there's, there's food to be had on the shelves of the stores, but no one can afford to purchase it. That at one point in a 12-month period in the last couple of years, in one 12-month period, Inflation increased over 800% in that country. Can you imagine going from one year to the next, paying eight times the price for something that you're used to? That currently, right now, in Venezuela, this moment, a carton of eggs, a dozen eggs, costs $157 US. We live in a very blessed country. So blessed, in fact, that if you've ever said the words, I'm hungry, what you probably meant is that it's been a couple of hours since you last ate and not a couple of days. And so what I want to do this morning is talk to you about another famine that can arise in our land, and that is a famine for the Word of God. The passage that was read a few moments ago from Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, the days are coming, the Lord God, when I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And people will search from sea to sea, north to east, looking for it, and they will not find it. Here's how I have seen this famine develop uh, in people's lives. You, you take someone who is raised in the church, raised by godly parents to love the Lord and love his people and, and want to be with his people every time the, the doors are open. I, I tell people as, as a preacher's kid, I was the proverbial drug baby. I was drugged to church and drugged to Bible class and drugged to youth group and drugged to church camp and drugged to a Christian university. 
you take someone like that who's raised in a church by godly parents to love the Lord and love his people, and for many of us that grew up in the church, somewhere in our late teen, early college years, some of us kind of slipped off from going to Bible class and worship as often as we knew we should. And, and there were a lot of reasons, but you know, it didn't really matter whether we went to a state school or to a Christian university, a Farmer or Harding or Freed or, or wherever. I, I remember being a student at, at Freed Harmon, and for the purposes of this story, one thing you need to know is that in that area of West Tennessee, there are several communities with the last name Springs in the name. There's a Bethel Springs, Essary Springs, a couple of other springs. Uh, and when I was a freshman at, at Free Harmon, I, I kept hearing my friends refer to them attending the Box Springs Church of Christ. And I'm ashamed to admit that I had no idea what they were talking about. I kept thinking, where is Box Springs? I know where Bethel Springs is. It must be some little small church out in the country somewhere because I've never heard of it. I'm ashamed to admit that I was a, a junior in college before I realized they were talking about their mattress. They were sleeping in on Sunday morning, the Box Springs Church of Christ. You know, when we're in our late teen, early college years, there's that temptation to maybe not go to church as often as we know we should. And, and here's what we tell ourselves. I'll wait until I'm older and a little bit more settled down, and, and then, you know, I'll go to church more regularly like I know I should. I, I'm just so busy right now. And, I'm going to wait until I'm married and settle down, especially when I start having kids. I'm, I'm going to go to church every time when the doors are open. I was raised in Sunday school, and I'm going to want my kids to be raised in Sunday school. And so I'm just going to wait until I'm more settled down. I'll wait until the kids come, and, and then I'll be better about going to Bible class and, and going to worship as often as I know I should. But then the kids come. And I mean... trying to start a good habit with small children in the house? Actually, let's back up. How many of you have small children in the house right now? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. A moment of silence for the victims. <laughs> I'm going to tell you folks, it is exhausting trying to get to church on time on Sunday morning with small children in the house. It is exhausting because you have to wake them up. And you have to feed them, and you have to bathe them, and you have to get them dressed, you have to change their diaper, you have to, you know, pack the diaper bag, and just as about the time you're walking out the door, there's a blowout, you've got to change the diaper again, you've got to get them loaded in the car and strap them in their car seat, folks, I've got to tell you, it is exhausting watching my wife do all that work. <laughs> kids to be in youth group. Have you seen teenagers' schedules today? They got ball and band and practice and school and all this stuff. Here's my point. Here's my point. If you and I are not careful, <laughs> see, the Lord's getting your attention. If you and I are not careful, we can go decades, decades, without ever being a part of a meaningful group of people intent on studying the Word of God. We can go decades if we're not careful. And one day we wake up and realize that life has passed us by and there is now a famine in our land for the Word of God, that there is now a crisis, there is now a challenge, there is now a trial, and we are so desperate to hear a word from the Lord and we run from sea to shining sea looking for it and we never find it because all that time we were not seeking the Lord with our whole heart and especially investing our lives in a study of his word. And there's a famine 
in our land. I want to talk to, to some of you that are here this morning that for whatever reason, whatever reason, you do not regularly attend a Bible class here at Hoover. I, I am not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand. I have no desire to humiliate or embarrass you in any way whatsoever. I'd just like to talk to you for a little bit if you, if you fit that description. I want to issue a challenge this morning. I'm going to encourage you to choose a Bible class in this congregation and commit to attending it every week for the next four weeks. I am not asking you for the rest of your life. That would not be fair or reasonable. I just want the next four Sundays. That's all I'm asking for, the next four Sundays. Choose a Bible class in this congregation and make the commitment that you will attend that class every week for the next four weeks. And then, after those four weeks are over, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I better off now than I was four weeks ago, spiritually speaking? I think you will be amazed at the response. Because what I have discovered in my own life is that every week in Bible class, God provides three things that every Christian needs for the Christian walk, for the Christian life. Three things every week in Bible class, God provides for us. Number one, every week in Bible class, God provides a model for life. I remember being a little kid in Bible class, and it was from my early Bible class teachers and also from my dad who would read me Bible uh, stories before I would go to sleep at night. It was from them that I first heard these stories of the great heroes and heroines of faith. Uh, stories about Abraham and Moses and Elijah and David and Peter and Paul and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and as my dad used to call him, under the bed we go. I remember being a little kid and hearing these stories for the first time. And, and I remember learning these stories and, and looking up to these individuals in Scripture almost like a little kid would a star athlete with awe and reverence and a, please, sir, can I have your autograph? And yet, as a young adult, I began to revisit these stories, and I was startled to discover that sometimes their lives bore a striking resemblance to mine, in that they had profound lapses of judgment and moral failure, and they sinned, and they made, mistake, made mistakes, and they had failures in their faith, and yet they went on to live great lives to the glory of God. And it gave me hope and inspiration for my life, thinking, well, if there's hope for them, then there might be hope for me. Every week in Bible class, God provides us with a model for life, a, a way in which we can maybe discern the right way to go or the right thing to do in a given situation when we're filled with so much uncertainty. Every week in Bible class, God provides us with a model for life. Number two, every week in Bible class, God provides a message for life. I don't know if you've ever thought about the story of Naaman. The story of the Syrian army commander in 2 Kings chapter 5. The story of the, the man that was struck by leprosy. And his uh, servant girl told him that he, if he would go search out the man Elisha, the man of God of Israel, he might be cleansed of his leprosy. He does so. Elisha tells him if he will go dip in the Jordan River seven times, he will be cleansed. Naaman does so, and he is. I don't know if you've ever noticed in that story, but how many times does God speak directly to Naaman in that story? Do you remember? How many times does God speak to Naaman directly in that story? <coughs> Zero. He never does. But he does speak to Naaman through a slave girl, through a prophet, through a prophet's servant, and Naaman's own servants. But he never speaks to Naaman directly. And that tells me something. 
it tells me that God speaks to his people in the context of community. Here's how it works. I don't believe that God speaks in an audible voice today. I don't believe that God reveals additional revelation or speaks in a way, obviously, that contradicts his own word. But I do believe that God speaks in the context of community. Have you ever come to church on a Sunday morning and something was said in the sermon or maybe in a prayer? Maybe it was something that was said in Bible class. Maybe it was a line in one of the psalms that was sung. You'd sung that song a hundred times in your life. But something about it that one day, something was said that Sunday morning and you walked out those doors saying to yourself, I really needed to hear that today. Has that ever happened to any of you, show of hands? Ever happened to any of you? Yeah. What exactly is that? God is speaking to us in the context of community. And, and I try to get people to recognize that when you and I cut ourselves off from the church, we dramatically reduce God's willingness or ability to speak into our lives, to speak a message for life. And yet every week in Bible class, God provides us with a message for life. But number three and finally, the lesson will be yours this morning. Every week in Bible class, God provides not only a model for life and a message for life, but most importantly, he provides a master for life. I was a preacher's kid growing up. My daddy was a gospel preacher. My mom was a godly woman. And as a result, I do not remember the first time I heard the story of Jesus. I have no memory of the first time I heard the story of Jesus because my parents were godly individuals. I am confident that I was only a few days or weeks old when I first heard the story of Jesus Christ. But my earliest memory of hearing the story of Jesus comes from a cinder block classroom in a church building in Morton, Mississippi. And back then, Jesus was on a flannel board. Kids, go home and ask your parents what a flannel board was. Jesus was on a flannel board. And I remember these stories of, of Jesus loving the little children, of Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead and giving sight to the blind, Jesus going to the cross and dying for my sins, being raised the third day so that I might be reconciled back to the Father. And every week of my life since then, it has been my distinct privilege and blessing to fall back in love with my master every week over and over and over and over again to be reminded of the fact that Jesus is the master of my life. Every week in Bible class, I have gained and regained a master for life. Reminded of Jesus' immense love for me, a love that existed before the foundations of the world. Every week in my life, I've been reminded of that in Bible class. I don't know that it's necessarily possible this morning from a logistical standpoint, but I want you to imagine that you and I were able to sit down this afternoon, one-on-one, -on -one, every single one of us, that you and I were able to sit down one-on-one -on -one this afternoon, and you were able to tell me your life story, and I was able to tell you mine. Again, I don't think that's possible from a logistical standpoint, but just let's pretend. Let's imagine that, I, that we were able to sit down, you were able to tell me your life story, I was able to tell you mine. One of the things that you would quickly figure out about me is that over the years in my past, people have given me a lot of reasons to leave the church. I'm telling you, people have given me a lot of reasons to leave the church. And I would imagine that some of you could tell a similar story. 
that in your past there is some mistreatment. In your past there is some emotional or spiritual abuse. In your past there is some sin. There is some uh, wrath or, or bitterness that someone who claimed to be a Christian did not treat you in a way that glorified Christ. And you have been carrying around scars for your entire life because of that, of that circumstance. And there are some Sundays, perhaps even today, when you sit in the middle of a worship service and you think to yourself, why in the world am I even here anymore? I want you to know that that is my story. People have given me a lot of reasons to leave the church. But can I let y'all in on a little secret this morning? Can I let y'all in on a little secret? In my life, people have given me a lot of reasons to leave the church. But Jesus keeps giving me more reasons to stay. And every week in class, I'm reminded of the one who has loved me from before the foundations of the world. I'm reminded of Christ's love for me. I'm reminded of the master of my, of my life. Every week in class, God provides for my Christian walk a model for life, a message for life, but most importantly, a master for life. And if you do not regularly attend a Bible class in this congregation, I am begging you. You may not have any idea what you're missing out on. I, I just want you to give me the next four weeks. I'm not going to ask for the rest of your life. I just want you to give me the next four weeks. She has a Bible class in this congregation. There are plenty of people here that would love to help you do that. But she has a Bible class. Commit to attending that class every week for the next four weeks. And then ask yourself the question, am I better off now than I was four weeks ago, spiritually speaking? I think you'll be amazed at the response. Because every week in class, God provides us with a model for life, a message for life, and most importantly, a master for life. Maybe you're here this morning and you are not a Christian. The Bible says that if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, turn from your sins and be buried with him in the waters of baptism, you can leave here this morning as an heir of eternal life. For many more of you, maybe you're here and you are a Christian, and yet you know there's some changes that you need to make before it is too late. If you have a need to respond publicly for any reason this morning, we want you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you. Bring Christ over all the
Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Thanks, Michael, for that great lesson. We have another one that will be starting at 1230. Uh, I've heard of the Box Springs Church. This afternoon, the Couch Springs Church may be calling some of you, but be careful with that. We'll be glad to have you back here at 1230. Uh, some announcements that need to be made for today. Uh, there'll be no Ahipadebo this afternoon because you will be back here with us. Uh, the bulletin was not published this week due to some technical difficulties, but let's be aware of the ones that are in the Carolines. Lots of our members are suffering things from uh, illnesses all the way to some deaths in their families, so let's make sure we're reaching out to them and keeping them in our prayers and looking for those opportunities to serve them. Food pantry will be this afternoon at the normal time, so if you're participating in the food pantry, uh, please make sure you're here to be able to do that. It's been an interesting two weeks here at Hoover. Uh, lots of stuff has gone on, and I'd be remiss if I didn't offer some accolades at this time. I'd like to extend thanks to uh, to Drew, to Mark, and to Teal for pulling together a lot of work, a lot of long hours, a lot of dedication on their part to making sure the jobs are well done. So if y'all see these folks, let's make sure we give them our thanks. For the congregation in general, for the past two weeks, for all the out of place stuff, the things that needed to be done, the things that had to be done, all of that to come together. You know who you are, you know what you did, you know how you participated. We would like to extend our thanks to you. We appreciate it. 